Welcome, everyone, to the State of Morales podcast, sponsored by D1 Media Pro, the number one live stream in the state for high school sports. This week, we celebrate the big four. Hey, 40 episodes in. We're going to recap, unfortunately, another loss for the football team as they fell to Bergen Catholic 21-0 to end the regular season. We'll also discuss how the cross-country team got another trophy this week and how the soccer team finished off their regular season as they are preparing for their playoff run against Red Bank Catholic. We can always be found on any of your listening devices, on Apple, on Spotify, on Anchor, you name it, we're there. So, make sure to search State of the Marauders or follow us on our social media profile at SOT Marauders to see all of the exclusive Marauder content. As always, I am your host, Juan Rodriguez, along with my co-host this week, once again from Talking Giants, and of course, this week's college commentary for D1 Media Pro. From the class of 2016, let's welcome in Justin Pennick. Justin, welcome back on the podcast, and thank you as always for taking the time to talk some Rota football with us. Yeah, Renato, I'm glad to be here. Regular season has winded down. Um, St. Peter's prep football, and you know a lot of the programs that are approaching the playoffs. I mean, you know, you're 0 and 0 again, right? You know, you you win or you go home, and um, you know, this is this is why you lift all them weights. Uh, Bill Bill Parcells likes to say, you know, I'm a, you know, hey, Giants and Jets fans. Bill Parcells, former Jets coach. This is why you lift all them weights. We're getting to that time, and especially for prep football um, next week, they have a fun game. But we're going to recap first what was uh, a pretty disappointing loss to cap off the regular season for our Marauders. So, unfortunately, Justin, it, it was more of the same in this one. You know, yeah. the the offense, as we mentioned, ain't scoring any points. The Bergen Catholic rushing attack, we able to slice up the defense. It's three out of the last four that this, this is occurring. It's a common theme that's going on as we hit the end of the regular season, right? Yeah, yeah. Offense, not even stalling Renato. It's just they stall in some areas, but largely more often than not, they just ev- they just can't even get it going. They just can't even get on schedule they just can't even get on track you know maybe getting a first down here and there and then you know stalling at midfield stalling in the red zone which they've had problems in the red zone too but it's just problems all around and it's so unusual it is so so unusual where you know i I know a lot of people when they think of saint peter's prep and i maybe some older fans you know and i've only i've been a fan of saint peter's prep football since 2012 you've been for a couple years longer right but When I think of St. Peter's Prep, I think of high-flying offenses. I know a lot of people may think defenses and the stu- and the tough, strong defenses, but I think of Brandon Wimbush, right? Brandon. I think of, you know, even though Brandon Napoleon wasn't the best thrower, you know, he was a guy that when I started to come to St. Peter's Prep, he was a dynamic quarterback that ran all around. I think of these dynamic offenses of, you know, uh, Hilleman, right? Of, you know, who's the running back that went to Rutgers, uh, Savon Huggins, you know, so Huggins, of all, these, all these guys that Trey Bell, I know he's a defensive back, but he was a prolific wide receiver. So just the, these explosive offenses that are just so, so fun and they could just put up points at will. And the crazy thing is, is that prep started their season like that. They started their season where they're putting up against lackluster competition, but they're putting yeah. up, you know, 30, 40, 50 points on a consistent basis. 60 against Paramus. 60 against Paramus, which Paramus mm-hmm. Catholic, while they're in like in a little bit of a rebuilding phase, they're still in this super football conference for a reason. 
And it's just these last couple weeks, it, it it has just been a dead stop, you know, stop sign stuck at a red light where this prep offense just it can't get out of its own way and they can't find really anything that has been working. And that has kind of been the theme of the second half of this regular season for St. Peter's prep. And of course, we got to talk about the penalties again because they yeah. continue to shoot themselves in the fur. 10 penalties for 80 yards. And not only just 10 penalties for 80 yards, Justin, they occurred at the worst possible times on offense and defense. Yeah, yeah. It, it always just seems to give Bergen Catholic opportunities to turn around drives. It, it always seems like on offense where, Renato, there had to be at least three false start penalties on the first play of drives. Right. You know, again, if, if you're if you're driving down the field and maybe you get a false start when you have a little bit of momentum under your belt or you found out that, hey, this play works, these set of plays work, these pl- set of plays can get chunk yards, these set of plays that we do can get us four to four to five yards, you know, just getting a little bit of chunk plays that can kind of keep us on script and keep us on schedule. You know, but St. Peter's Prep, they don't have any of that figured out right now where they don't know what works. So on the first play of a drive, when you have a false start, whether it is by an offensive lineman, a, a wide receiver, you know, jumping a, jumping a little early, when you lose five yards to start, it's it's demoralizing. You know, it's demoralizing. Right. Your, back, your backs and your backs are against the wall. And not only your backs against the wall just to start a drive, but your backs are against the wall when you're not having any success moving the ball to begin with. So it's just a bad recipe. It's a bad formula. And, you know, we're, we're recording this on Halloween, you know, October 31st, having those kind of mistakes that are happening at this point of the year. It's something that I'm sure very much frustrates this coaching staff. And there were even a couple of penalties that, you know, forced the Morris to go from second and short, third and short, to third and long. Yeah. Which they would, I mean, we'll talk about the third down conversion rates in a little bit, but like that, that just kills all momentum, you know? Yeah, and first down inefficiency or ineffectiveness has been one of those things that has plagued I than like third down Renato, because this is something that you know I, I like to talk football. I, I I it's part it's part of my job. And what I love to look at with certain football teams, and especially for teams like St. Peter's Prep that I like to root for, is how often are they avoiding third down? The best teams usually never get to third down. You know, or they avoid third downs. And if you are going to get the third down, how can you make them third and manageables, third and fours, third and fives, thirds, three, twos, ones, et cetera. So mm-hmm. how can you make those third downs short? And what prep is doing right now is because they're not effective on first down, um, it forces them into a scenario, which when they get to a, a down, like third down, they're in a third and seven and plus, and then you become one dimensional. You have to throw the ball. And this is where this game champ long, you know, uh, was running for his life. And there were some times where Bergen Catholic was even rushing. They were rushing three. They were sending three pass rushers going after the quarterback. And Champ Long just had like this mental clock of one, two. And then boom, he just had to break containment because somebody was in his face. Um, I didn't really think Bergen Catholic brought a lot of elaborate blitzes. They just have a very, very talented defensive front. They have a very, very talented football team. You know, and Champ Long was really running for his life, you know, break, having to break containment and that chemistry that he has with his wide receivers, it's not fully there yet. And hopefully it develops into next year because Champ Long will be here next year. He has some wide receivers that are going to be carrying over to next year too. Hopefully that chemistry, they can develop it a little bit more of when he can breaks containment and he's rolling to his right outside the pocket. How can these guys get open? Because Champ has the arm talent to throw it on the run, to throw it deep, 
But how can these guys get wide receiver separation? How can they get open instead of when the play breaks down and when you have to improvise instead of kind of just standing there and not really knowing what to do? So there was a lot of just breakdowns this past weekend of offensive line not you know hold, giving Champ enough time in the pocket and then also Champ having to run for his life and wide receivers not getting open. So let's talk about the scoring plays that occurred in this one. Of yeah. course, we now know that's for Bergen Catholics, but we'll go through them really quick. With two of seven left in the first, Saeed St. Fleur, 32-yard touchdown run, 6-14 in the third, Ryan Butler, nine-yard touchdown run. So, again, the Marauders were only down 7 nothing and a half, but then the Ryan Butler and St. Fleur show took over. Ryan Butler, again, ended the game with an 11-yard touchdown run in the fourth. 21 to nothing was your final. And, Justin, this was the first time that the Marauder offense got shut out since December 1st, 2012, in the state semis against Primus Catholic, who pitted John Hellman and Jabel Peppers. One's a former Giant, one's on the Giants right now. Injured. Yeah. So I think I put that in there just for you. I was at yeah. that game, actually. So that's actually a fun fact where – so I played I played football, and I was, a, I was a freshman football player that suited up for some varsity games. So that was one of the first football games where I was an attendee as a student. Because 2012 was my freshman year at prep. Um, so that was one of my first games where I attended like as a student. I was in Marauder Nation. And oh boy, was it not a fun day. And Jabril Peppers just ate our lunch and you know <laughs> wiped, wiped, wiped his face with our with the back of some prep guy's jersey. So um that was not a fun game. And it's certainly, you know, that you know, against Bergen Catholic, not a fun time to be shut out as well this past Saturday. And that was the first time that the Crusaders came to Caven and won since October 28th of 2011, Justin. Yeah. So yeah. the first uh, this, time in the last eight tries. This series has been, and this is why this series is so fun and this rivalry is so fun between St. Peter's Prep and Bergen Catholic, where home field advantage has played a, a pretty big impact on you know who has won the overall series and who has won some of these games. So it's still a relatively, it's a very fun rivalry, and it's still going to be exciting to see as Bergen Catholic is improving and as they're getting better, um, it's going to be exciting to see how St. Peter's Prep can develop as well and how they can continue to go back and forth. So we'll, we'll talk about how the bracket shaped up for the postseason. Maybe these teams might play each other one more time. We don't know. We'll see. I hope but, so. but, but before we talk about that, Justin, let's talk about our players of the game in this one. For the offense, I'm going to have to give it to Zion Fowler. Four catches, 106 yards. He committed early in the week to Pitt. He made some big plays on, on, on some, some great deep balls by Champ that gave the Marauders life at times, you know, gave him the ball in, in the plus territory. So what, what did you think of Zion following this one, Justin? Yeah, you know, also I want to extend the congratulations to Zion. Zion Fowler committed to the University of Pittsburgh. Last couple of years, the University of Pittsburgh has produced some pretty good products, pretty good NFL players coming out of there. So hopefully Zion can put together some nice uh, – you know, some nice game tape so we can get noticed by some media talking heads like like myself. And maybe I can talk about him on a talking football one day as like a draft profile and a draft preview. I'm going to be doing that, be that for uh, the Adamiola brothers uh, coming up this offseason, too. The twins. So I'm the excited twins. for that. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, with Zion Fowler, really big plays. Only four catches, but, you know, broke the, you know, the century mark in terms of yards. And it was basically him and Sam Slade. Zion Fowler and Sam Slade were the providers of – the explosive plays this game where there were really two opportunities that prep had to put seven points on the board this game, like two really good substantial opportunities. 
um, when they got into the red zone and it was set up by you know Zion Fowler having some explosive plays over the middle of the field. And I thought that there were times where Champ Long, you know, maybe they're going to look at this on the film this week and Zion's going to say, hey, Champ, I was open in the middle of the field, uh, you know, a, a decent amount this game. But because Champ is running to his right, he's running to his left. He's kind of, you know, that mental clock for Champ was was really short because of the offensive line. And, you know, uh, the way that Champ was able, you know, couldn't mani really manipulate inside the pocket, right? So I feel like there were some plays to be desired. There were maybe some plays that were left out on left out on that field on Saturday. But Zion had a really good game, provided those explosive plays and provided those opportunities where St. Peter's Prep could have put seven points on the board, but unfortunately they could not. So who was your defensive player of the game, Jess? I know you had a couple of nice candidates who mentioned off air. Who was your defensive player of the game? Yeah, in terms of the guy that stuffed the stat sheet, I'm going to go with London Robinson. He had a big sack, um, made some plays in the backfield as well in, in the run game. Um, London Robinson has been doing it all year long. He has that green mouthpiece. He has the green cleats, and you know the, the they're like neon green too. So when you have the silver, when you have the silver and maroon, though, that's the kind of stuff that sticks out. And you know what? I kind of like that little fashion stuff. I never looked good when I played, but these, <laughs> but, but these these guys know how to pull it off. They know how to make it look good, and they play good too. And that's the thing that counts. So London Robinson, big sack, really nice sack coming off that uh, that right side of the defensive line, left side of the offensive line. But also I want to give a shout out to somebody who, you know, maybe didn't stuff the stat sheet or didn't, didn't put a lot of stuff in the box score. But the weakness of the St. Peter's prep defense is teams that run outside the tackles because especially when you lose a guy like Eric Perez, you know, CJ Wesley and Jaden Bonsu are those guys that are maybe kind of expected to step up and, you know, fill those those gaps in the run game when those guys are running to the outside, right? But they mm -hmm. the St. Peter's Prep defense, they largely rely on these interior defense alignment to stop the run. But Lucas Jimenez, number 53, had a heck of a game because there are certain attempts where Bergen Catholic try to smartly run to the outside, run off tackle outside the tackles. And what Jimenez did is he maybe didn't make a lot of tackles, but he took on two guys. He took on a tight end. He took on a tackle and he stood his gap. He stood his ground. He did not get pushed off the ball and it forced these ball carriers to go outside and to go to the sideline. So guys like maybe Avery Powell corners can come up and make a play in the run game. So guys like Bryce Rooks, London Robinson, they can come up and they can scrape across the line of scrimmage and they can make that play from the backside because Jimenez is holding his guy and he's fulfilling his gap and his responsibility. So Lucas Jimenez is a guy that was expected to step up this year with some injuries on that defensive line. He's kind of come in here and he's done a good job. Quiet, great game this past weekend from Jimenez. So I'm going to give a couple quick thoughts on the offense, giving a little more statistical analysis as Justin likes to put it. Oh, I love it. The rushing attack for the Marauders were held to 72 yards on 29 attempts. For your math majors out there, that's 2.5 yards a carry. That is not enough for this offense. No. This offense, Sam Slate, Paul Lovecourt, they, they call themselves the best duo in the state, right? I mean, 2.5 yards per carry is not, 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 not good enough to be a Burn Catholic team. That's just you need you need better you need better results out of the rushing attack for sure. Yeah, and especially because they do it so often on first down. You know, I felt like I was watching that game, and 
it was very it was it was predictable of the series of events that was going to happen for St. Peter's Prep. They were going to try and see what they can get out of the running game on first and second down, and then third down. If you can't get anything out of the run game on first and second down, it's predictable that the pass is coming on a third and long, right? right. So that was the that was the series of events for for St. Peter's Prep in this offense, particularly you know this past Saturday. And really, Renato, just some overall thoughts on the offense that I have is like, yeah, you know, I obviously I 100% agree with you that they do need they they need to get anything going, whether it's the running game, whether it's the passing yeah, game. Um, but obviously, when you have you know one of the best duos at running back in the state of New Jersey, you, you would like to think that it does start there. But Renato, this is an offense that I view it at the start of the season that it has a lot of energy. It has, there's always guys that are moving. They spread the field in terms of pre snap motion. Hassan Moore, um, Fitzroy Legister, you know, uh, Zion Fowl, these guys should be moving. They should be getting their momentum under their feet before the snap of the ball. So maybe that there's an option for Champ Long, and maybe this is part of Champ Long, you know, his progression as a quarterback, and maybe they can start to do these things next year for him. But Champ Long has been a guy that I, you know, he works very, very hard, and I think he's been a quarterback for quite a while, even before he he came to St. Peter's Prep. He came to St. Peter's Prep and transferred to be the quarterback here. You know, it's he didn't just find the quarterback position. Champ has been working to be a quarterback, so I do think that he is a really, really smart guy. I would like to see this offense get a little bit more sophisticated with that pre-snap motion, motion at the snap to give Champ some options. Okay, is this bubble screen going to be open? You know, if I if I if I'm putting Fitzroy Legister in motion at the snap of the ball, am I going to dump the ball off to him, or is Zion Fowler going to be running a slant over the middle of the field? Maybe you can do a run pass option where you can let Champ diagnose. Am I going to hand the ball off to Paul Lefkowitz and allow him to get four yards, or am I going to throw it outside to Fitzroy? Am I going to throw that slant to Zion? So. Maybe it is that hey, this this team is relatively young. Champ is still a junior. You know, he's not a senior yet. We don't want to throw too many things on his plate. But this is an offense that I really do think it can still have energy. It can still have movement. But yeah. Those things, those things just aren't there. And there's there's no life right now. There's there's no life on this offense because, like I said, they they haven't found anything that was working. And really, Renato, when I saw that. When they were putting wide receivers in motion, when they were putting guys like Hassan Moore, you're excited. Like, you're excited. I was very excited on the broadcast. Yeah. I mean, you, I, I had a note of like, this is a driver. Maybe I want to see some wide receivers get moving here. Sam Slade was motioning out of the backfield a decent amount this game too, where you had some formations with Lefkowitz on one side of Champ in the shotgun, and then Sam Slade on the other side of uh, Champ Long on a shotgun, and then Sam Slade would motion out as like a wide receiver because, again, you you don't know because Sam Slade is such a weapon where he can be a guy that can catch the ball. He can be a guy that can run the ball. So I like that, utilizing those different looks and keeping the defense honest. So those things started to happen a little bit, and it worked at certain times, but when you can't execute in the red zone and you have two key opportunities, especially at the end of the first half where – a couple big plays by Sam Slade in the running game, Renato. So how many rushing yards did the St. Peter's prep have from Saturday, Renato? 72. I think o- over half of them had to come on one series. Yeah. On two yeah. plays by Sam Slade. I I, I really do. Um, Cause there were two big plays in the, at the end of the, in the second quarter at the end of the first half. And then there's a red zone series of which there's four, there's four plays that they, that they run. And they can't get it. A third, a third and short where Champ Long tries to do a little bit of a read option. Instead of handing it to Paul Lefkowitz, Champ Long tries to call his own number. And then boom, you know, he gets hit. It's fourth down. And then fourth, then fourth and fourth and short, 
Fitzroy registered. They use him motion at the snap. They hand him and they gave him like a jet sweep, which I love that play call. I think Hassan Moore might have missed a block there. So yeah. that possibly could have been a first down. So that's another execution point where I, I like that play call. Fitzroy registers a track star. If you're not going to be able to get the ball in his hands during the game in terms of him as a wide receiver, you know, give it to him in the running game like that. Um, but you got to execute on that as a, as a football player, right? Hassan Moore has to stay inside and, and block that. Um, so shooting them, shooting themselves in the foot with penalties, execution and lack of efficiency um, in the red zone as well. So, you know, they're going to have an opportunity next week to get it together. I'm glad I'm in a way. I'm glad that St. Peter's prep does not have a buy, right? Where they're not one of those top seeds where they do get a buy. I want them to get out there and get more reps, um, especially against a team like Pope John, you know, we'll, you know, Kevin will break that down a little bit, but they need to get out there and they need to have more reps. I, I 100% agree. I, I think this week is going to be a good week for them to showcase their offensive potential. I think yep. in a game like this, you know, try to get some more confidence. You know, that that game is going to definitely be deflating. But again, it's the playoffs now, right? We're zero and zero. You're zero and zero. Zero and zero. Nothing else matters right now. So that concludes the regular season for your Marauders. Justin, do you have any final thoughts on the defense that you want to mention before we talk about the brackets? Yeah, if kind of short and simple, if you were to tell me that Bergen Catholic would only score 21 points before the game started, I'd be like, yeah, you know, we should be in this game. St. Peter's Prep, we should be in this game. But unfortunately, you know, like we said, not to continue to hone in on the offense, I think I did that a little too much. But <laughs> if you told me that Bergen Catholic was only going to score 21 points, I would expect that Prep would be in the game. So I understand that Bergen Catholic, they ran the ball a lot. But at the end of the day, you know, the game of football is about how many points you allow and how many points you score. And right. scoring 21 points as one of the best teams in the country, especially at home, I take that from the defense. So. I agree. I agree. So we would like to thank you, Justin, for giving us your insights and analysis all season long. And I, I personally hope to have you on from hopefully a couple more weeks as you we progress through the playoffs. I yes. hope. Hope we get to metal life. That'd be fantastic. So, Justin, thank you once again for coming on this week. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Renato. Let's go prep. Playoffs time. Playoff time. So now we have the football bracket for the playoffs. Right here. I'm going to read off the seeds and the first round matchup. And then we're going to bring in an expert to dissect all of it for you guys. So as a reference, there are going to be only 13 teams in the bracket. There were three schools who dropped out. And the first three seeds will get a bye into the quarterfinals. So as Justin mentioned, Prep does not get a bye because... Drumroll, please... They get the fourth seed. Yes, Prep will be the fourth seed at six and three. Of course, Bergen Catholic is nine and zero. Oh. They're the best team in Jersey. They're going to be the number one seed. Saint Augustine down in South Jersey are the number two seed at eight and one. Saint Joe's Regional ends up being the three seed at six and three. Your Marauders are four at six and three. Seeing Hall is a five at six and three. That's an interesting thing to note for later on. Don Bosco is five and four at the sixth seed. Del Barton seventh, four and five. Donovan Catholic five and four at the eighth seed. Notre Dame four and four as the ninth. Camden Catholic as the tenth at six and two. Paul the sixth also six and two at eleven. Saint John Vianney at three and six at twelve. And rounding out the bracket is Pope John at thirteen with a one and a record. And your Marauders will play. 
Pope John in the first round this Friday night at Caden Point. So to get the in-depth analysis of the bracket as a whole, we're going to bring in the expert himself, Kevin Connolly of the Class of 2016, to give us his thoughts on the bracket. So Kevin, take it away, buddy. Well, thanks, Renato. So this non-public Group A bracket, without saying, it is loaded. And obviously, if you look in the top half of the bracket where Prep is seated at four, you really can label this top half of the bracket the Bergen Catholic region. Bergen Catholic, they're just phenomenal. We saw on Saturday with their 21-0 win over Prep, they can get it done in all three phases. So they're the one seed. They'll have a bye. They're into the quarterfinals. They're off until November 13th. They'll get the winner of Notre Dame and Donovan Catholic. Now, both these teams, pretty good. Donovan Catholic, the eight seed, I would kind of give them the edge over Notre Dame. They'd have to go up to Oradell. Bergen Catholic would be a big favorite in that one. Seton Hall Prep, St. Peter's Prep. They're that 4-5 game. Obviously, St. Peter's, they'll get Pope John. They just beat Pope John 35-0 a couple of weeks ago. If they take care of business Friday night, they're on to the quarterfinals, most likely with a rematch against Seton Hall. And obviously, we all know how that game ended Earlier this year at Caven Point, it would be at Caven Point once again because Prep's the better seed. Prep with a Philly special in double overtime to beat Seton Hall 22-21. Just one of the best high school games you are going to see this year. Could have round two coming up. Now, obviously, that's the big one because then you'd have to win and get to the semifinals to presumably play Bergen Catholic. But, man, I'll tell you, those three teams right there, Bergen Catholic, Seton Hall Prep, St. Peter's Prep, that's a gauntlet. I mean, especially if you're a Seton Hall or St. Peter's fan, you're going to have to beat each other to get to Bergen, and then you just have to beat Bergen just to get to MetLife, and that is just incredible, incredibly tough to do. Now you look to the bottom half of the bracket, St. Augustine. Yes, they had a great record. Did they play a lot of quality teams? Did they play the Bergen Catholics, the Seton Halls, the St. Peter's? No, they didn't play them, but they won their games that they played, so, so they're the two-seed. Um, St. Joe's Montville didn't mention them yet. They're the three. So them and St. Augustine get the bye. And one team I really have my eye on here in this lower half of the bracket is Don Bosco. Don Bosco, after a slippery start to the season, they, they came on strong. Um, they started uh, one and three this year. They won three straight against St. Peter's, Del Barton, and DePaul. They ended up losing against St. Joe's Montville before they were able to pick up a regular season finale victory over Paramus Catholic, so potentially another rematch with the Green Knights at Montville. That would be a very big game, um, and uh, I believe the winner of that game, should Don Bosco beat Paul the Sixth, if they beat Paul the Sixth, I think the winner of St. Joe's Montville and Don Bosco would eventually advance to the state final. I think they would beat either St. Augustine, Del Barton, or Camden Catholic. I would say Del Barton has the edge over Camden Catholic. I would give, I would give St. Augustine the edge over Del Barton if that matchup comes to fruition. I think it would be a really good game. But uh, I do think the winner of potentially the St. Joe's Montville Don Bosco prep game, I think they might have a really good shot at going to the state championship game, although their semifinal game might be on the road should St. Augustine advance. But as for as for St. Peter's, obviously we all know the drill. They, they have to step their game up on offense and continue to play that great defense that they had all season long, and everybody's back to square one. Every team is zero and zero, even if even if you have a bye, doesn't matter. One loss, and your season is over. So prep gets their state tournament underway Friday, November fifth at seven p.m. at Caven Point. And you can catch the game live 
on D1 Media Pro via the National Federation of High School Sports. Hoping for a great and long playoff run for the Marauders this year. So thank you to Kevin for giving us your thoughts about the postseason. Now, let's talk about the rest of the program as a whole. I want to bring in Jay Post. He's back to give us his recap on how the cross-country team got another trophy and how the soccer team did this week in preparation for the state tournament in South the South Jersey region. So let's welcome in to this week's edition of the State of Morales Hotline, Jay Post. Welcome to the State of Morales Hotline, sponsored by the Torna Bennett Group. They provide leadership solutions for nonprofit organizations, professional fundraising, interim executives, and strategic marketing. They also provide sales, fundraising, and executive solutions for New Jersey businesses. For more information, call 201-932-0100 today. That's 201-932-0100. It was a good week for the cross-country team who took home the county final. Alex Schmiel led the way, finishing first in the boys' 5K with 16-16-6. Also placing in the top 10 was Theodore McCarthy, Brandon Schmiel, Richard Harrington, and Taryn Mohan. Luke Bradley as well. For the JV race, Alex Puhak finished first with 18.054. Luke Schreiber, Alex Giatino, Jefferson Castillo, Colin Rutledge, Luigi Lancelotti, and Nicholas Bambrickson Toyo all finished in the top seven. Prep made up the entire top seven in that race. And in the freshman race, Prep once again made up all of the top five with Nate Palmarino, Lucas Hernandez, Daniel Nemeth Serdai, Peter Franco Jr., and Tommy O'Brien all finishing in the top five in that order. Boys soccer also will be in action soon enough after a nil-nil tie made up their week to Dickinson this week. That was indeed the last game of the season, and now they'll enter State's play with a matchup against Red Bank Catholic coming up this week. Obviously, a bit of a strange matchup for uh, St. Peter's, who you know traditionally are have been a North non-public team, but this year are in the South bracket. Playing Red Bank, if they win that, they'll play Notre Dame, and then eventually Pingree. Also in the bracket of note is Christian Brothers Academy and St. Augustine. So, you know, some some non-traditional opponents for St. Peter's who haven't faced the likes of CBA or St. Augustine in soccer in some time. Hingry, obviously, though, looming large as the favorite in that side of the bracket. And it would take a, a pretty significant upset for St. Peter's to take down either Notre Dame or Pingree to make the final. But best of luck to the boys' soccer team and congrats to the cross-country team. Thank you, Jay, for all the results for soccer and cross-country this week and the analysis of the state tournament. So, in the rest of the program, we had the Royal Polo guys competing in these Garden State duels this weekend at Lawrenceville. And while they didn't get a victory in those duels, they really competed hard against the likes of St. Benedict's, Pingree, and Lawrenceville, and particularly St. Benedict's. They only lost by a few goals, so great effort of all by the boys. Griffin Ragnar, Evan Briggs, and Sebastian Artiega were the leading goal scorers for the Martyrs, while Evan Murkoff was in goal in all these contests. So their season will end on that note. And we want to thank all the seniors who are on this team this last couple years, because as we mentioned throughout these last few episodes, these last couple years have been irregular ones for the water polo team due to the COVID and all the situations that happened with the water polo season by the NJSIA. So for them to still be as competitive as they were, with all these circumstances, I really appreciate all the effort that they put forth all year long. 
Lastly, the crew team went to the head of the fish this past weekend, and they competed against schools once again from all over the country. And I'm going to give a quick shout-out to the Varsity 8-Boat. They finished fourth at the race, which was the highest finish for a high school boat in that race. So, so great job there. They also had the best finish last week at the head of the Charles, at 44th all the while. So great job in these last two meets for the crew team. And as always, for full coverage of this race, make sure to check out their Instagram at Marauder Rowing for all of your rowing updates. So a great job this week by all the prop athletes. We're going to wish you all the best of luck as you progress towards the fall season championships starting this week. Well, that is it, folks. Yes, there's, there was no AD's corner this week. I apologize. That's the show's over. Thank you to everyone for tuning in to this week's episode. Be sure to spread the word of the State of Marauders podcast by sharing our social media profile at SFT Marauders to everyone you know and continue to check them out for all of the latest updates. See you all next week. And as always, let's go prep. Hey, this is head athletic trainer Joe Lasella, and you are listening to the State of the Marauders podcast, sponsored by D1 Media Pro, the number one live stream in the state of New Jersey for high school sports.